Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this, oh, kind of rainy, overcast Christmas Eve Sunday morning. I'm glad that you are here, whether you're joining us in person or online, we are honored by your presence and so glad that you have taken time out to be with us this morning. Uh, Several announcements for you, Um, the biggest one being please check the insert to your order of worship. Make sure you're not missing anything. Um, But of course, tonight we will have our Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. So do make sure you're here for that. The office will be closed Monday and Tuesday, uh, and I will be on vacation next week. And Reverend Daryl Cluck will be filling in for me next Sunday. Thank you, Daryl. We will not have Sunday school next week. So if you come for Sunday school, you're just going to be here early. Get yourself a cup of coffee. And then again, the church office will be closed on the 1st. So if you're in need of something on one of those days, um, you are always welcome to call my cell phone, but the office will not be open. Uh, I also want to, as we celebrate our final Sunday of Advent, uh, point your attention to the final of our four banners. It's on your right in the back of the, the room. This is the banner of love. And the final banner of the Advent season uses three stylized rose blossoms to symbolize the love of God as expressed through the Trinity. The rose has long been associated as a symbol of love. The ancient five-petal rose form is used as it was an actual variety grown during the time of Christ. Vertical golden rays suggest the flow of love between heaven and earth. The rays terminate in the fleur-de-lis, which is an additional symbol of the Trinity. Centered in the banner is the triumphant purple cross, crowned with a victory wreath to symbolize Christ's victory through love. And speaking of roses, you will notice the gorgeous floral arrangements adorning the sanctuary this morning. I do ask that you appreciate those with your eyes. Don't take any this morning, as we will need them for this evening. And I think that is everything. Am I forgetting anything, anyone? Okay. With all of that said, let's take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to settle ourselves for all of the parts of ourselves to catch up with each other. Because you all know as well as I do, this is a hectic time of year. And our minds and our bodies and our hearts don't always get to necessarily be together. So take a deep breath. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. As you breathe out, breathe out the things that still aren't done, the details for the meal that still have to be taken care of, that last minute trip to the grocery store that might just have to happen. Breathe in again, breathe in the quiet of this good place, breathe in the peace of being surrounded by those who love you. Breathe out one more time. Know that that love also extends to God who loves you and accepts you and sees you just as you are right this moment. And then let us worship together.
Edmund, would you come be my friend? I know you're too old. Thank you very much. You can sit in the chair if you don't want to sit on the floor. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming down, so I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to talk to the camera, okay, in case we have friends watching. But I want to show you something, and it's very special to me, but it probably doesn't look like very much. What is that? It's an elephant. I think technically it's a mammoth. His name is Colosso. Yeah. And he has a mustache. Do you see the mustache? He has a little mustache. So the story behind Colosso is he was a gift from my mom and dad at a time in my life that was really, really hard. I was going through a lot. My grandfather had passed away. My uncle had passed away. And I was in college. And college can be really hard. And they make you take these things called finals. And finals are really hard. And I was just in a rough place. I was in a very hard place. And I was very, you know the word stressed? I was very stressed. Just scoot over this way for me so I can look at the camera too. Thank you, dear. So I was really stressed and I was really sad and I was overwhelmed. And my mom and dad gave me this and said, okay, this is to remind you of how you eat an elephant. Right, do we eat elephants? No. Please don't ever eat an elephant. It's not a good thing. But the old saying is, you eat an elephant, because they're so big, one bite at a time. And what they wanted me to remember was that when things are hard, or you're scared, or you're overwhelmed, how do you deal with it? It's a little bit at a time, right? So we can't always fix our problems right away, but there are little things that we can do that can help. So, this was a gift, and I have taken, that was over 20 years ago, and this little guy has come with me everywhere, and he got a mustache at the church where I was a pastor in St. Louis, one of my youth put a mustache on him. I still don't know who it was, or why, but it's funny, and it makes me happy, so I left it on there. And then when I was a pastor in Pennsylvania, I started lending Colosso out, so I had several church members who got cancer. They got really sick. And one in particular had cancer in her leg. And she had to go through a lot of treatment. Lots and lots of treatment. She could go to the doctor all the time. And it took over a year for her to get healthy. So I let her have Colosso to remind her when things are scary, when things are hard, when we don't know what to do, you just, it's one little bite of an elephant. And then she gave him back to me. And I was able to give him to somebody else. And so he's gone and lived with lots of different people over the years, which I think is pretty special. But the point that I'm trying to make is that this was just kind of a sweet, silly little gift for my mom and dad. It wasn't going to be anything, I think, particularly special. I don't think they thought I would still have him 20 years later, and that he sits in my office every single day. But sometimes the best gifts are the gifts we don't expect or the gifts that don't seem that special in the moment. And the biggest one, of course, being Christmas Eve to think about is baby Jesus. Um, Babies are many, many things. They are a gift, but they're also loud, and they can be smelly, and they take up a lot of time and attention. I know you probably did when you were a baby. We can ask your mom. Yes, she would say yes. I think all of our moms would say yes. And we might not always think that Jesus was a gift, right? And then when he got older, Jesus said a lot of things that we still 
have to figure out what he meant by them. And that's why we have a church, is we're still trying to figure Jesus out. But that's the sort of gift that Jesus was. Yeah, he was human, and he was a baby, and he cried, and he was smelly, and he had to change his diaper. But he was so special and so important, we're still talking about him today. You're learning about him in Sunday school, right? Every week. So what I want you to remember is that even a small thing, like a little stuffed elephant, can be a huge gift to somebody. And you never know. You never know how it's gonna affect someone. So I don't want you to worry about if the gift is fancy, if a gift costs a lot of money, if a gift has lots of shiny wrapping paper on it. That's not the point. It's still a gift. And because you give it to somebody else, that's what makes it special. So remember that when you're opening presents tomorrow. Remember that when you get things for your mom and dad. They don't care. It's from you. That's what matters. And let's all remember that the best gifts are just little elephants. And they have the biggest impact. Okay, you're going to have to be really loud because you're the only one today. So can you can do that? Okay, so turn around and face the congregation. Adults, you're welcome to join in. Support Edmund as he does this with us. You ready? I'll say the first line and you say it back, okay? So look at them. We're going to say our prayer. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Oh, holy child of God. Amen. Thank you, Edmund.
Family of faith, we know that a small group of convicted people can change the world. That's how it's always been. People like Mary, people like Zechariah, people like John the Baptist. And yet we rarely feel like we can be one of those people. We downplay our ability to make a difference. We choose pessimism over optimism. We sweep hope under the rug for the sake of being realistic. We forget the words of Mary's song. Fortunately for us, God carries enough hope and grace for each of us. So let us go to God in prayer. Let us speak the truth of our lives and let that honesty change us. Friends, let's pray together. Holy God, more days than not, hope feels like the rain. We try to hold on to it with cupped hands, but eventually, It slips right on through. So we ask this morning that you forgive us. Forgive us for holding hope so loosely. Forgive us for allowing the realities of today to define tomorrow. We know this world needs people of hope and peace and love and joy. So today we pray, turn us into those people. Teach us how to sing Mary's song for ourselves and for the world. We pray these things with open hearts. Amen. Chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary proclaimed, My soul lifts up the Lord. My spirit celebrates God, my liberator. 
For though I'm God's humble servant, God has noticed me. Now and forever I will be considered blessed by all generations. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. From generation to generation, God's loving kindness endures for those who revere him. God's arm has accomplished mighty deeds. The proud in mind and heart, God has sent away in disarray. The rulers from their high positions of power, God has brought down low. And those who are humble and lowly, God has elevated with dignity. The hungry, God has filled with fine food. The rich, God has dismissed with nothing in their hands. To Israel, God's servant, God has given help as promised to our ancestors, remembering Abraham and his descendants in mercy forever. And now a reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. When Zachariah's voice was restored to him, he sang from the fullness of the Spirit a prophetic blessing, saying, May the Lord God of Israel be blessed indeed. For God's intervention has begun, and he has moved to rescue us, the people of God. And the Lord has raised up a powerful sign of liberation for us from among the descendants of God's servant, King David. As we prophesied through the mouths of his holy prophets in ancient times, God will liberate us from our enemies and from the hand of our oppressors. God will show mercy promised to our ancestors, upholding the abiding covenant he made with them, remembering the original vow he swore to Abraham, from whom we are all descended. God will rescue us from the grasp of our enemies so that we must serve him without fear in all of our days in holiness and justice in the presence of the Lord. And you, my son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will be the one to prepare the way for the Lord, so that the Lord's people will receive knowledge of their freedom through the forgiveness of their sins. All this will flow from the kind and compassionate mercy of our God. A new day is dawning. The sunrise from the heavens will break through our darkness, and those who huddle in night, those who sit in the shadow of death, will be able to rise and walk in the light, guided in the pathway of peace. And John grew up and became strong in spirit. He lived in the wilderness outside the cities until the day came for him to step into the public eye in Israel. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. There was recently uh, an English study done over in England that was highlighted by the New York Post. 
The study was called Sing With Us, and it enrolled almost 200 choir members, and then through some scientific work that I don't understand and I'm not going to try to explain to you, uh, studied the saliva of these choir members after they sang together to see if singing affected health and mood. The results showed very clearly that being part of a choir reduced stress, uh, stress hormones, and in increased cytokine. Uh, I'm going to have to get DH to help me with this word. Thank you. Uh, which is a protein that can boost the body's ability to fight serious illness. Charles, you're gold star today. <laughs> Other studies have found connection between singing with lessened anxiety and stimulated memory for those with dementia. Singing also increases lung capacity and has been known to ease postpartum depression. In 2019, of course, before COVID, there were 54 million Americans in choirs, and they were found to be more optimistic, more likely to vote, less lonely. They possessed stronger relationships and were more likely to contribute positively to their communities than non-singers. And according to Eugene Rogers, who is the artistic director of the Washington Chorus, when you attach singing to an anniversary or a memory of others, it gives meaning and comfort. I mention all of this because this morning's gospel lessons are parents singing. They are parents of two remarkable children singing to God. Two people who have had encounters with heavenly messengers singing of what is to come. Two people who sing songs that continue to provide a valuable witness to God's relationship with humanity. Now, the first passage that Caroline read for us is known as the Magnificat. You all have heard this before if you've spent any time in church around Advent. Mary sings this gorgeous, glorious song. Comes after she's visited by the angel, told she will have the Christ child. And the simplest explanation is that the Magnificat is a song of a new world order. It's inspired uh, heavily by Hannah's song in 2 Samuel, which of course she sings when she becomes pregnant. And it has two main sections. The first section of the Magnificat, if you go home and check your Bible, is verses 46 through 50. The second is 51 through 55, so two sections in there. In the first section, Mary focuses on what God has done for her, how he has lifted her up and done all of these incredible things. The second section, 51 through 55, in that section, Mary speaks broadly of what God has done for all people, particularly Israel. In the first section, Mary's actions and God's are pretty balanced. They uh, magnify the Lord because God has magnified Mary. All generations will call Mary blessed because that's what God has done for her. Her words are drawn from a range of Old Testament passages. Of course, she was a Jewish woman and highlight what will become to be the essentials of Jesus' message and his ministry in the Gospel of Luke. What's really powerful about what Mary has to say is that she offers herself, she offers herself 
as a sign of God's salvation, God's greatness, and God's attitude toward the lowly. Luke uses Mary and her song to provide a characterization of God very, very early in the gospel. So what Luke is telling us is that God is Lord, God is Savior, God is the Mighty One, God is holy. In the second section of the song, Mary elaborates on themes of praise for God's mercy and how that mercy will affect those devoted to God. Of course, as God has taken careful notice of a girl from Galilee who, as far as we can tell, was nobody special, God then makes her a blessing to all the earth and will do the same for everyone who is devoted to God's self. And perhaps most important, Mary's song inscribes God in more concrete terms than we have heard before, even from the angel. What I mean is, the angel may have had the first word, may have talked about God first, may have described God first, but Mary gets the last word in these descriptions. And her child, the Christ child, will bless the poor, will undo the rich, and be faithful to the promises of Abraham. That is how God is represented through this coming baby. The second reading that you heard from Carol Ann was Zechariah singing his song once his mouth has been reopened after John's naming. His song is traditionally called the Benedictus. And like Mary's Magnificat, it frequently echoes phrases from the Old Testament. Remember, Zechariah was a priest. John and Jesus' births are understood as part of the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 26, and then to David in 2 Samuel 7. What I found interesting, uh, and this was from a female scholar, um, so I don't know if she was trying to make a gendered difference or this was just a comment, uh, she pointed out that uh, Zachariah's song isn't nearly as organized as Mary's. <laughs> so take that for what you will. Even though it's not as organized, the Benedictus, Zachariah's song, makes clear that the end of God's redemption isn't just deliverance from political domination. It isn't just getting out from underneath the Romans. But the creation of conditions in which God's people can worship and serve without fear. So what Zechariah is singing about is not just we're going to get away from the Romans and things will be perfect. It's that God's redemption... Sorry, I had a friend... God's redemption, God's deliverance from this domination also comes with a place and a space and the ability to worship and live out the people's faith as they choose. The Benedictus also has two sections, like the Magnificat. The first begins as a hymn of praise and follows with the reasons for praise. The first section also includes three verbs stating what God has done. God has visited, God has made, and God has raised. The second section turns to John. Zachariah is a proud papa, after all. And he speaks of how God's actions will be mediated through his son. 
John will prepare the way and give knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. We hear that later as he's yelling at people in the wilderness, right? John will be a prophet, and his birth announces God's new deliverance. Now, you might wonder, why do these songs matter? They're in the text, so maybe that's why they're important. They're in the Bible. We should probably know about them. But beyond what they tell us of God and these two children, why does it matter that Mary and Zechariah are singing? Well, one of the reasons it matters is that their joy comes through their songs. Joy becomes an embodied practice. It's something they are actively doing, actively participating in. Said another way, Mary and Zachariah's act of singing are a physical expression of their emotion, how they're feeling in these miraculous moments. Emerging from within each of them, their singing can't be contained. There's simply too much to be expressed. This is what robust hope looks like. Yearning for the hungry to be fed, for the lowly, those on the underside, those who often get ignored in our society, to be lifted up, for children to experience God's tender mercy. Most poignantly, these songs make it clear that if hope, peace, joy, or love feels out of reach, the act of singing has the power to transform. March of 2022, as the reality of COVID was becoming clear internationally and for all of us, before it had seemed a little bit silly, right? We're canceling sporting events and places are closing and I don't know anybody who's sick, but around March, April, those things started to become very real. There was a medical school who saw the writing on the wall and canceled classes and started sharing what they called a daily pause for their faculty and their students. One of the things included in the daily pause in March was this poem by Mary Oliver. If you're not a poetry fan, I really suggest you look her up. Her work is fabulous. And this one, especially if you're someone who lives with anxiety, as I do, is especially poignant. It's called I Worried. And I want to read it to you today. I worried a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I ever be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it. And I am, well, hopeless. Is my eyesight fading or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing. And I gave it up. And I took my old body and I went out in the morning and sang. My friends, the good news this morning is that singing can and does transform us. We know this is true when we 
think of hearing a soloist on Christmas Eve singing O Holy Night, or that feeling that we all get when we sing Silent Night together, we have our candles. We know this is true every time one of our choral scholars shares a solo and blows the roof off this church. We know this is true because of the biblical text. After all, how many other 2,000-year-old songs are still being talked about and studied other than the Magnificat and the Benedictus? We know this is true when we stand at the bayou's edge and raise our voices to God in celebration of a baptism. So sing out, Louise. I'm going to say that again. Sing out, Louise. It doesn't matter, sorry, if you have a good voice. It doesn't matter if you can read music. It doesn't matter if you know the hymns. Sometimes we choose ones to challenge you on purpose. (laughs) You don't have to be musical. God doesn't ask that we make a beautiful noise or even a good noise. God asks that we make a joyful noise. So sing out. Raise your voice to God with whatever you're feeling, whatever you're bringing with you into worship. God knows. Sing out. Research shows it's really good for you. And our loving, gracious, all-compassionate God might just transform you through the song. Amen.
As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. And in this Advent season, as we long for the presence of the Christ child among us, we often anticipate Jesus' arrival in traditional places of power. We seek our hope and salvation in the false promises of dominance and might. But instead, Jesus brings us salvation through vulnerability. He became bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. God, in the form of a baby, made herself dependent on us, an infant, revealing the transformative power of giving and receiving love through human flesh. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted. And all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures, our grief. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love and willingness to be vulnerable, he would be seized by those in power. This isn't a surprise, because still today, we often crucify the ones who dare to risk it all on love. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For though he knew the end was coming, Jesus gathered with those he loved best. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, remember me. And then in the same way, when supper was over, Jesus took a cup and he filled it with wine. And as he filled it, he blessed it. And during his blessing of that cup, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. My friends, the good news is that Christ makes us the same promise. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And now hear this benediction. May starlight guide your steps toward the place of wonder. May angels sing their news as you travel to the manger. May promise fill these days as we watch at the edge of birth. And may faith tell you, Emmanuel will be with us soon. Go be salty. Amen.